we've got a chain in Australia that has got over 200 locations and they sold a couple of years ago for, I think it was $600 million. And it's over a billion dollar company now. And they have just opened up, you know, in the UK last year and they want to buy 10 locations there, 15 locations. But, you know, these are massive big companies now. And you can imagine if you are competing against, you know, you, you might be an injector, nurse injector, doctor injector, you have a small clinic, you might be doing the cool sculpting stuff. But now you're actually dealing with billion dollar companies in your space, competing with having all these experts and all these marketing experts and operations experts and tech teams and all this good tech. That's what you're competing against now. Your options are move on or, or maybe find a way to compete. And if that means technology, well, then you've got to find something that can give you an edge, something that allows you to do what they're doing, but on a smaller scale. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. The largest clinic chains in the world are all using technology to get an advantage in the market. So how can smaller aesthetic clinics keep up? and even use their own technology to compete. Avram Rubin is founder and CEO of Clarity Multi, a platform to help aesthetic clinics of every size manage their data better and use it to create a more personal, welcoming experience for their patients. Today, we're going to talk about some of the simple ways you can use your tech to run your clinic more efficiently and to grow faster. And because I am really not a tech person, we're going to do it using non-techy language that anyone can understand. Avron, who's based in Sydney, was previously general manager of the Facial Rejuvenation Clinic, the largest medical cosmetic clinic in the Southern Hemisphere. It's now known as Rejuvenation Clinics of Australia. So he has extensive experience building and running a very large aesthetic practice. We're going to talk about that too. Let's dive in. Avron, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Great. Thank you very much. Nice to be able to join you. Uh, my pleasure. You're an unusual guest for us because you are not currently the owner of an aesthetic clinic, um, but you have a very, very um, interesting platform, Clarity Multi, which is essentially the technical backbone for many clinics across the world. Um, and we'll definitely talk about that in a second. But first, I want to hear a little bit from you um, about, uh, about, about the kind of data that clinics should be using their tech to collect. Um, practically every med spa and aesthetic clinic owner swears by good customer experience. Um, and very often they think of that as something very personal. You know, the receptionist smile or giving a, you know, a frequent patients a good a discount or a gift. Um, so why is technology such an important part of good customer experience? 
Well, the reality is, you know, customer experience can exist without technology. And that is the, the history of our industry and where it all started. But that was a long time ago when things were quite simple, when the amount of treatments were uh, few that, you know, normally had one practitioner working with a, a patient. And in that case, you, you got to know these people, you got to, you are the one person, the one practitioner working with them. You, you spoke about one treatment. Uh, those people weren't influenced by online and media and, and social posts and everything. You were their source of information. So it was a very simple relationship. And in those times, those relationships didn't need tech because you knew enough about that patient. But where things have changed now, the, the industry has become a lot more developed and so has um, the amount of information that our patients get access to. So all of a sudden, you need to know a lot more information to be able to engage and to, to understand that patient. And, and that's where technology comes in. It, it takes that patient engagement or that patient knowledge to the next level. Now, you, you could use, um, you know, you don't need the technology to be collecting lots of data. And that was what we saw about five, six, seven years ago with clinics. They were trying to get all this data, but it was very admin heavy. And eventually it just wasn't, um, they just couldn't run a profitable practice with the admin overheads of trying to gather all these little bits of information and put it together to try and understand a person. And that's the solution where the technology comes in. It allows you to gather a massive amount of, of data allows you to keep that safely and then call on that data when you need to so you can actually engage and use that data to engage with the patient. Okay, so first of all, what are the key pieces of data that clinics should be gathering um, about their patients in order to improve customer care and, and to improve that engagement? So they need to, what we, we find, the patients really don't like to have the same conversations over and over. Um, so if um, you sort of have to have like a plan of when in their journey, they're going to have access to certain um, interactions. So what do you say to the client before they come in? What do you say when they come in? What do you say during um, the consultation? What do you say at the end of the consultation? What do you say in your follow-up? So you look at this whole um, plan or the whole, we wouldn't call it a life cycle. Let's just call it the patient journey. And you just plan what is going to be done at each point. So that way there's no repetition and you can make sure that you, you're saying the right things at the right time, because it's quite easy to, to understand um, a patient and know what they're interested in. But if you have that conversation at the wrong time, it's not going to go well, or you're not going to get the desired outcome. So to, to me, it's, it's about, having all of this stuff but knowing when to use it and how to use it so what kind of do you generally find that clinics are collecting this data or or they or not enough really it depends on the size of the clinic um the the larger ones are or the very large global chains uh they tend to use very sophisticated software um things like salesforce which can cost millions of dollars to implement so yes, they've got that going on, but the smaller clinics, no, not really. Um, because as I said earlier, it's all about, um, if you don't have that tech, you're using high admin costs to, to document, oh, we said this, we said that, the client, the, the client had this um, 
feedback or this was the response. Um, so, you know, the, the data that uh, we worked with customers and it was quite a, a um, an interesting piece it was what we call discussion management. So understanding what discussions you had with the patient, what their interest levels were, what their barriers were, and then what your next step was as a clinic. So for example, if it was something that the patient was really interested in, and we know that they have a financial barrier and it was just not achievable and they were getting quite embarrassed and, and talking about it, even though it wasn't an applicable treatment, it was in those sort of cases, you use that data to go, not, we're just not gonna have this conversation at this point. Um, let's only communicate this information to the patient again when we've got something addressing that particular barrier. So yeah, it, it's, it's all about understanding that uh, communication and taking the data. Uh, we also worked with a couple of clinics to try and understand nonverbal data as well. So when you're having that conversation, it's not just the words, it's, it's, it's proper communication. It's looking at that person, trying to understand how they're responding to you and actually documenting that in the software or the software documents it so that it can help you plan that um, the following communications. How can, um, how, how can platforms uh, present that information in a way that is actually useful? Because I would imagine um, that very often it is actually in some way recorded, but there's so much information that it's hard for anyone to really make sense of afterwards. Yeah, well, that's a really good question, that one. That, that really brings you to almost the absolute forefront of where technology is today with AI. And with AI, it's, it's artificial intelligence. And what they do, it, it's based on a process of success modeling. So you, you take a whole set of data variables and then you have an outcome. And you're trying to work out which of those variables match the successful outcome. So we worked, for example, on, on a project for a couple of years where based on the information that the, the information system was feeding in about that patient against the success model, it could tell you which conversation to have at which point in time. Now, that's exactly the way big insurance companies and other companies work on your phone. And the way you get routed and the questions you get asked is all based on AI. And this was you something- You basically which, use it to optimize the process and to get to, to essentially to speed up the sale because you can see in all probability what the, what the next right thing to do and to say is. Is that right? Correct. So, so when you're developing this tech, we, we look at benchmarking, um, how the AI would do that versus a person. So we look at when the AI suggests what the next step or the next conversation is versus when a practitioner does that on their own intuition, we then look at which one had a lot more success. And it's amazing that no matter how good the, a practitioner could be, there's just too much data. It's just, there's so many little calculations taking place so yes, we started to see that companies which were rich in data and had a lot of data in the right system, the, the software could tell you at which point in time to have a certain conversation. Uh, and that, that's important because you don't want to, um, I'll give you another example in a second, you don't want to be spending time head down in your computer trying to find stuff when you engage with a client. So a couple of other things that we had to do um, or what we look at is what we call um, data at the point of contact. 
So how can you, for example, summarize a patient's file, interaction, communications, financial history, um, you know, online activities, and bring that all into a summarized view at different points at where you need it. And that's where tech comes in. So I guess one of my questions was, go was going to be, how do you make, you know, many companies in many industries are collecting a lot of data. And the truth is that most of the data is never really used. Um, it all it kind of goes to waste because, as I said, that there's just so much of it. So is one of the ways to get it used um, to make sure that the platform that you're using is actually doing an analysis for you? Um, is that basically what you're saying? Well, yes, that's one way. That That's telling you, um, that's just, as I said, that's at the forefront. And it's probably out of reach for most clinics. So for so, other clinics that are really not at that stage yet, how else can they make sure? What are the tips do you have to make sure that the data they collect is actually used to the best they can, they can use? So scaling back to one more accessible way of using technology, we call um, what we call the abnormal flags. So when you're collecting data, if you have a way to flag certain stuff to, um, if there's a concern or it's abnormal, that that flag is what you're really looking at. We call it following the, the bouncing ball. So for companies which aren't using AI or predictive technology, but still capturing a lot of data, you've got to find ways that it, it sort of um, flags. So let's say, for example, you might flag when a client has a high percentage of cancellations, right? So that data is automatically flagged. So now when the person is, you don't need to know that, um, for example, at certain stages when the person is, you know, pre-op or something like that in your clinic, that's irrelevant information, but you need that information at the time of making a booking for that patient. So we look at what we call data flags and then we say, well, where do you show those flags as well? So that, that's another really good way of using tech and it's without going through the full predictive, really expensive AI, it's, capturing data, and even though you're capturing vast amounts of data, know when to flag that data and then when to show those flags. So a, a great example was um, about 15 years ago, um, Gilderma came out with something called the Harmony Survey. And that was great. It was a really interesting piece of work where it was looking at uh, psychological and behavioral aspects of a patient and seeing what their, how that relates to their risk of um, being a patient that just wouldn't be happy with the outcomes. So you could, you, they had questions like, I think of my personal appearance five times a day. I think of my personal appearance more than 10 times a day. Uh, it could be why are you having this procedure? Could, are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it to please others? And all these sort of questions. And that was the first time it sort of really got my sort of um, thoughts going about data uh, flagging certain responses. And yes, it's no point in, in giving someone these surveys, with all these incredible questions, and then you just don't do anything with the data. But we can't physically look at all this data at every single point. So that was the perfect can example. You can use it as an early warning system. That's essentially what you're saying. Correct. But just taking the abnormal responses. So this is what I've talked about, that, that pared down. You're not using full AI. You're just going, well, I'm doing this with the patient now and a flag bit of information is coming up because it relates to this particular stage of their, their patient journey. So that's what I was getting to, that, that whole 
collect a lot of data, know when to use it, and if better, flag the abnormal stuff, because that's the, the outline stuff that you need to know that's, you know, if, if every answer that the person gave is within the normal range, you don't really need to flag anything. It's it's that simple. So you can. Are there are there uh, other ways really to make sure that the to, are there other ways to make sure that the data is made the most of? For example, should clinics consider having someone specifically look at the data uh, occasionally or in charge of some kind of analysis? Is there anything like that that could help? Sure. Again, if if you don't have the budget for software, um, you know that can do that for you. Another way is obviously. Uh, the day before patients come in or the morning before where a supervisor or senior a practitioner would look through the patient's file or look at certain things and then actually make um, pre-consultation notes for the provider doing that. Uh, please be aware of this point or that point. Um, what, what's also interesting is um, what we consider a quality control framework. So when a clinical practice has a let's say um, system uh, will you keep it really simple you need to have a conversation with the patient about x y and z for these particular reasons right and the practitioner then does not have that conversation at that stage most companies that will be the end of it will be totally forgotten or it's not really managed so we use quality control or quality control is also an important feature to think about to close the loop. How do you know that the information that you've now presented to your practitioner is being used? And what is the next step? And that brings me to one of my, my favorite things, what we, we pioneered um, a long time ago in the industry was called next step and ideal date. And that, that revolved around a principle of if I tell a patient they need to come back for a Botox treatment in three months' time so we can build on the last treatment to get the best possible outcome, um, but that patient can't come in for four months because they're traveling. We believe that it's important to, to actually document the ideal date. So we would still put in the system the ideal date is three months, appointment booked for four months. So now we've got a one-month gap. Now, the person calls after four months and said, look, I'm still, I'm just not ready to come in. I'll come in next month. So now they're coming at month five. But what we're looking at is the gap between the ideal date and the actual date. So now it becomes two months. And those things could potentially impact the outcome of the treatment. And it can also actually um, be a risk factor because the further someone becomes away from that ideal date, the less likely they are to actually come back to the practice. So, so these are the sort of things, and there's lots of ways of using data, recording things that don't have to be super tech, but just think about what's important, what's important markers you would need to manage that patient. All this, of course, depends very much on staff cooperation. Um, and, you know, quite frequently we see that staff don't really, you know, they want to engage with tech to a limited extent. Um, yeah. So how do you get the staff really to, to play their role um, and to use the tech systems that you've set up? Is there any secret to that? Sure. So, sorry, I should have gone into more details in the last question about the quality control framework. So the reason why we do that is it's a risk profile. 
that everything that could be a risk to your business should be flagged. So for example, if someone deletes a warning about a patient, if there's excessive discounting at the point of sales, if the patient didn't show up, if a patient's file was made inactive, and there's about 70 or 80 of these points, that if any of those actions are taken, it's actually detrimental potentially to the business. So in my case, because it was just uh, a bit difficult, it was one of the main reasons why we developed this tech, is that quality control framework will actually pop up at that time. So if I did, let's say, a, I was making a client's file inactive, the quality control framework pops up at that point in time saying, why are you making this client inactive? Because it's a risk. And I'd give my reason. And I'd say, making the client inactive because the client um, has moved to another country, never coming back again. Right. Now, that's not a closed loop. That's still open. So I need that information reviewed. So the way the quality control framework looks, someone higher up, a practice manager or someone in charge of that section, now gets presented with all the exceptions. And they get to see all the reasons. And quite some that person who's, make, who's supervising can either go thumbs up, I agree with it. Or they can go thumbs down, I disagree with it. And this, was, this is what you should have done. This is what our practice policy is and set a task for that provider. So that, that way, um, what we call almost like a virtual practice manager, you don't have to stand over everyone with a stick, making sure that they're doing everything. You can actually use technology to manage technology. I know it sounds weird, but technology can help manage um, use of technology. So in terms of getting the staff on board, right, and willing to use the tech um, and not skipping steps. So part of it is, it sounds like knowing that there is someone or something um, yeah. on, their, on their backs, but is there, that's essentially the stick. Is there a carrot? Uh, yeah, well, you can put in KPIs as well, um, you know, and reward people for certain things. So, for example, if one of the KPIs was we need uh, certain discussions to take place, certain information to be recorded, percentage completion of client files, those, those same things, even though you, you've got a quality control managing when those things aren't done, you can actually take the outcomes of how many were done and actually reward uh, staff members for that as well. So yes, absolutely, carrot and uh, stick. Okay, so everyone, let's take a step back here and tell me about how you came to develop your platform, Clarity Multi. Where, where did it all start? Uh, well, actually, my um, I came into the industry from a totally different industry. Um, I was involved with a company which was all about immersive um, experiences and experience marketing were almost one of the, the global leaders at the time. And I had a, a doctor who had this vision of building the super clinic. And he came across me and I sort of headhunted to go into this role because they wanted to bring this experience marketing and operations. We had just opened up 40 locations at my previous business and they wanted to bring this into aesthetic medicine. And um, I joined the practice as their general manager, and we built a super clinic, which was actually one of the largest clinics in the Southern Hemisphere. We had 45 rooms, it was over four levels of about 900 square meters. Um, it was pretty- it was, one, it was one location, but it was enormous. 
it was enormous. Well, we've opened up others after that, but that was one super location. And we had uh, big retail shops, we had day surgery, we had skin cancer clinics. We, we had everything there, call centers. Um, but that sort of gave me a lot of, um, uh, I guess, insights to what was going on and working with the big um, pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies. And uh, but five or six years after taking on that role, I decided to just go into consulting and to work with the pharmaceuticals and the medical device companies with their global clients, helping operations and marketing. And I started traveling around the world, working with all these groups and the same issues came up. Everybody wanted to collect the data, but they weren't able to do it. Everybody wanted to use the data, but couldn't do it. Everyone had these high admin costs and, and it was just absolutely obvious that you have either the use of medical software or marketing software. But aesthetic medicine is really the combination between the two. So there was this massive gap of having a medical practice management functionality, with the same marketing capabilities of a, of a decent software. And there were companies like, um, you know, that could be configured to do these things like Salesforce, but you'd taken a vanilla platform and you spend in millions of dollars on each implementation to, to actually develop it. So I put together this business strategy and, um, and plan of what I thought a software should look like. And I was quite fortunate to um, get funding. And we found some great investors, people from the industry. We got a, an amazing advisory board. I even had the ex- GM of PayPal sit on my board and we built the software to fulfill the gaps. It was based on my vision, my, you know, I'm not technical at all. I just had an idea of how the software should look. So and what do you we, want it to do that other platforms, um, other, um, you know, the other platforms were not doing. So it was all about, um, I guess, decreasing the admin costs, how to use data, how to capture data, is first thing you got to learn how to capture data. Two, you got to learn how to store it. Three, you got to learn how to use it most effectively. And four, you got to manage it and make sure it's been used. And I also found that in aesthetic medicine, it was vastly different how each clinic would would um, do their pricing. So, for example, let's talk about injectables and anti wrinkles. Some would have discounts at a certain price level. Some would be multiple vials. Some would be coming prepay and and all and some were packages so we actually found that with the diversity of the way these businesses were operated that you needed a software which could actually do so much softwares that could be configured in all these different ways and and most importantly that quality control area those 70 points are meant or dimensional 70 that are risks to your business so so we came up with this idea we, we built the software um, our first U.S. client had 110 locations, and um, yeah, we, we what, worked. With, what year was this? So how, how long ago was this? That was three years ago. Okay, so you started big, uh, with 110 locations. I uh, know we had been going for about a year and a half before then, yeah. But um, um, our clients are, you know, we're quite uh, fortunate. We have, for example, the, one of the biggest single clinics in the world. We've got one of the most profitable clinics in the world. We've got one of the busiest groups in the world. We had one of the largest by footprint. Um, we, we really geared ourselves for these massive clinics. And for us as a company, um, working with big groups, they normally had operations managers, call center managers, marketing managers, direct um, 
boards and stuff. And we found it was really good as we're developing, even though we had a lot of knowledge to be working at these big companies because we've got a lot of insights as well. And what were the things that surprised you most? Um, yes, there's a lot of things like, you, you know, it, nothing's surprising. I think it's just that it's just people do things so differently. And um, we, we do see a lot of things where it's done really um, poorly, but it's just the way the doctor does it. The doctor, I just can't change it. I don't care if I, we, we've had clinics go, I don't care whether we have eight people on the finance team because it just suits me to do it that way versus saying, well, we could drop it to two people if we did it X, Y, and Z. So I, I did find um, the, the difference between who you're speaking to. Um, and and that's, that was one of the reasons why we went for the bigger companies initially, because the, the smaller companies were like, oh, I, I'm only gonna do it this way and that's what I wanna do. And I don't care whether it's not efficient. It solves one problem for me and that's fine. But working with bigger companies, we had the control where head office would say, this is our business process and this is the way you're going to do it. They were more um, in systems, presumably, so that helped you standardize your product. Correct. But we've we found now that with the, the growth in, in tech and tech savviness and everything, clinics are, even the smaller clinics are moving forward with the tech. Um, so we've actually embarked over the last 12 months of reconfiguring our whole software to say okay instead of running on single server architecture for big companies how do we share that architecture for smaller clinics how do we modulize the, the software so instead of spending a fortune each month having 27 modules you just have the modules you need so we're hoping in about you know a couple months time to be able to launch lighter versions for smaller clinics that now want good functionality they just don't want to you know, have multi-million dollar budgets. So where are the majority of your clients right now? So the majority of our clients are in Australia. Um, and the, as I said, they're pretty sizable um, sort of uh, blue ribbon clients. And um, when we, we go that lighter version, uh, we will most probably um, open it up more for the global clients um, because there will be a lot more light, if that makes sense, easier to, for, to manage. Now, obviously, your um, your platform has developed in the way it's developed. Um, I'm interested in how you see the industry as a whole, right? Where, where is this tech in general going in, going in the future? What's, what's the direction of travel that you see there? The best example that I can think of tech is the expectation of the user. So if we look at Amazon or anything that you used to shop online, we used to talk about delivery in a week would have been great. Then it was delivery in three days. Then it was delivery in you know, same day, nice delivery in two hours. Um, that whole expectation of, of how things just work just becomes better and better. We expect Google to give us examples of stuff that we're looking for. We expect to find solutions online. So there is an expectation now that people have further trust or, or, or just want more out of tech. So that's been the change. Um, t companies want to, uh, we've certainly seen a, uh, in the industry, um, doctors that I saw a long time ago used to say, I am not worried about the big companies because it's all about personal service and I can give a better um, 
customer experience. And therefore, these companies which are opening up multiples and all of those things aren't going to succeed. That, that's what we used to see and doctors say a long time ago. But the reality is those big companies today, some of them are using really amazing tech that actually allows them just to, to get the right thing the right time to offer the right special to the patient to have the right conversation. It's a advantage, essentially. Correct. And the other thing is um, the mystique about, oh, I shouldn't be saying this, but you know, the, you need to be the best injector and the best of this, and only you could do that. With the sort of um, proliferation of these treatments, people sort of feel like that more comfortable that a lot of these treatments are safe and they can get it most places and it shouldn't really, they have less of a fear of it going wrong in, in some respects. So they become price driven, convenience driven and stuff like that. And we've seen some of the, 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 the sort of mid range pricing doctors, the high pricing, keep their niche clients. But that sort of mass market has really gone to the big companies now that can afford to, to market and use tech. Okay, so in an environment like that, actually having the tech right um, is absolutely critical because the big chains are going to eat your patients for breakfast unless you can compete in that way. Absolutely, and we've seen that at the moment. You know, when I speak to doctors and they go, I don't understand how there's people queuing outside. How can they open? You know, we, we've got a chain in Australia um, that has got over 200 locations and they sold a couple of years ago for, I think it was $600 million. And it's over a billion dollar company now. And they have just opened up, you know, in the UK last year and they want to buy 10 locations there, 15 locations. But, you know, these are massive big companies now. And you can imagine if you are competing against, you know, you, you might be an injector, nurse injector, doctor injector, you have a small clinic, you might be doing the cool sculpting stuff. And now you're actually dealing with billion dollar companies in your space, competing with having all these experts and all these marketing experts and operations experts and tech teams and all this good tech. That's what you're competing against now. So your options are move on or, or maybe find a way to compete. And if that means technology, well, then you've got to find something that can give you an edge, something that allows you to do what they're doing, but on a smaller scale. So let's, so forgetting the really big um, companies, to, to, let's talk about a clinic owner. Maybe they're, so, maybe they have one clinic, maybe they have two, three, four, what should they, they don't have the money for the big stuff, right? So what, um, what, what should they be looking for in a really good platform? What are the nowadays, what are the must haves in a, in a really good tech backbone? Um, well, I'd say it comes down to that quality control, that risk management is one of the most important things because with so many things which are potential risks to your business, being aware of those things and managing those things are the most important because it's a lot of hard work to to uh, get a client in to keep them happy to give a service it's quite easy to lose a client it's quite easy for staff members to to do the wrong thing or, or, or be charging the wrong amounts or give too little drugs or too much drugs or not book the right treatment or not rebook people and each one of those things is a risk to the business so you might have a good system of 
you know, marketing, getting clients in, but now maintaining them, making sure that you've optimized your business. Just look at all the, the different, uh, my, my suggestions would be, look at all the things where it's a risk and write out how you can manage that and get processes to manage, you know, maybe not all of them, but the most important ones which can damage your business. Well, what about the warning signs? You know, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of different platforms out there. What are the things that people should definitely, you know, if a platform is not doing this um, or if they have something in particular, that's a sign should avoid them, in your opinion? Well, integration is a big thing. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of clinics use MailChimp, for example. Uh, that's very, very popular. And we talk about things like, uh, here's a good example of non-integration versus integration and how that impacts you. So let's say you are a small clinic and you go, I'm going to use MailChimp to send out my messages. So what you have to do, you export your, your client list from one system to another system and you send that out in MailChimp. Now in MailChimp, people might open it, they might not open it, they might view certain pages, and they might unsubscribe or it might bounce back. So I've seen some clinics, the unsubscribes come in, and then they get that list. And they never update from database. Yep, and then they gain from one software to another, then they gain into each client file and saying the client's unsubscribed, or maybe they don't say anything. Maybe the the email bounces back. Maybe, you know, all these sort of things. So that's non-integrated software and it becomes very labor intense because you're exporting this, you're importing, you're taking information from one, you're putting it back. But even doing that, you now have no intelligence. So what a good software would do, for example, it could send out um, the emails from your main software. If the client unsubscribes or bounces back, it could flag their file automatically. So now when the client comes in, you go, oh, by the way, your last email bounced back. Can we get you the right email address? Or maybe it understands that the client read a certain element or treatment. So now when you're having a discussion with the client, it flags, by the way, the client read that thing about cool sculpting five times in the last week. Yeah, and as a marketer, I think that's really, really critical because, you know, we work with clinics all day long where really the, their, their platforms are terrible. They're forced to use something like MailChimp um, or ActiveCampaign because the, um, their, their, um, their patient management systems, their marketing element is usually so basic and so terrible um, that they're forced to use the things that are built, for example, for email marketing um, and as exactly the picture that you paint, it's absolutely terrible for the integrity of their data, um, but sometimes they really have no choice. Um, so that's obviously something that the clinic should be looking out for when picking a platform. Yeah, but look, an another thing that's interesting, we we've seen clinics that actually have done things well to then move in to start doing things badly. And how that happens, for example, that could be a change of personnel or, or staff members. So a clinic might have built up a really good system and their the marketing is working pretty well then they get a new marketing manager or, or person who comes in and they're not familiar with the current systems but they know mailchimp really well so they actually break the current system by taking the data out and start doing it in mailchimp because that's what they are familiar with they don't understand the bigger picture so you know it, it's it can go both ways. A big risk though um, in tech and stuff like that would be systems administration is massive. 
understanding a system, configuring that system and stuff like that. And I think what companies should be looking at, um, like they have external bookkeepers and, and, and stuff to help, is actually outsourcing having an expert of their software manage their systems admin so that you know you are aware when things are going wrong, that things are set up properly, that the system is being used. Um, because you don't want to be investing, you know, uh, you've got a staff of 30, you've got one person that knows the system and then that person leaves. So, you know, that that's a, a business risk. So again, if you're going to use technology, potentially have a plan of how you can deal with staff changes and stuff like that. So you don't become... Um, and, you know, I don't want to get general practitioners down, but how many times, you know, when I was growing up, I used to go to a general practitioner and they had this old lady behind the desk because that was the only person who knew the system. That was the only person who understood that doctor and they could never get rid of those people because that was it. Um, that, that, that's, I, part of, that's part of professionalization, getting beyond that, isn't that? Um, Aaron, yes. we're going to take a quick break now. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to you also about your experience um, as general manager of the Facial Rejuvenation Clinic. As you said, one of the largest clinics in the Southern Hemisphere. So we definitely want to talk about that as well. Just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a second. Over the past six years, we've helped dozens of aesthetic clinics and med spas all over the world promote themselves online. We're constantly examining what works and what doesn't and tweaking our methods to help clinics grow faster and more easily. Looking back on hundreds of campaigns, we concluded that there are just four pillars which separate the five-star clinics from the average Joes you see everywhere online. The best clinics don't promote absolutely everything. They focus on a small number of highly profitable treatments in their marketing. Repeat business is at the heart of their campaigning. They understand that existing patients are more profitable and easier to convert than new ones. They immerse their patients and their leads in their world, marketing frequently in several places in a very coordinated way. Finally, their marketing feels intimate and personal, not generic. These four factors are the pillars of our aesthetic immersion marketing system. If you're tired of marketing that doesn't resonate or make you stand out, and you have spare capacity and expensive machines which are being underutilized, this new marketing approach can help you stay busy with your most profitable treatments. To find out more about the Aesthetic Immersion Marketing System, visit www.aestheticimmersionmarketing.com. I'll put that address in the show notes so you don't have to remember it. Or you can just email me directly at miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. And we're here with Avram Rubin, who is not actually the owner of an aesthetic clinic, but he was the general manager of the Facial Rejuvenation Clinic, um, which at one point was either the largest or one of the largest clinics in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, Avron, tell me a little bit about how, how, did, how did that clinic grow so big? What was the one thing you know, the, the, the name of the podcast is How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. What was the one factor that really allowed that, that clinic to get so big? That's, it was all about innovation. It was started by a GP called Dr. Gary Castle and his wife. And um, Gary was 
a believer in tech. He loved tech and he opened up a small aesthetic practice of about two rooms and um, he got the Salter um, Fraxel machine. And he just, there weren't many people using Fraxel at the time. And it went so well. So what did Gary do? He bought a second Fraxel machine. So we're the, one of the first practices in the world to have two Fraxel machines. And we're the first practice in the world to ever burn out a machine and we got it to amount of usage that no one else had ever done. So by saying that it was quite clear that we had done more um, Fraxel treatments than anyone else in the world. And how, how did they promote that, by the way? Did they, um, did they focus their marketing really heavily on Fraxel? Correct, they did. So it was an innovation that the other clinics didn't have it and, you know, frax and all that sort of stuff. But the success of that sort of laid the pathway to thinking bigger about if I get new technology, if I get, let's say, Thermage came out, you know, if we get Thermage now, now we can do fraxal resurfacing, we can do skin tightening, would we be able to get all these new clients being first to market. Now it became a really expensive game because at one stage we had 45 lasers. Um, it, it just, you know, and every time you have to get the latest laser because you're playing in this field of innovation. We're the first, we're one of the first, we've got the best lasers and all those sort of things. So uh, Dr. Castle had this vision of just growing this super clinic which had all the cool lasers and all the latest tech and stuff like that. And they'd found the standalone building on one of Sydney's uh, busiest commercial streets. And um, I was headhunted to come into the company to help fit out, build, um, and launch this new mega clinic. So it was, it was built on innovation, was built on, on choice. You could get, you know, we can offer you this, we could offer you that. Do you want product? We, we sold more product than um most clinics would actually do in their total turnover if that makes sense it was just that big we had about 280 square meters of retail space it was just massive how, 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 did, they, how did they keep it personal with the clinic that size or at that point did it just not become important to keep it so personal it was more about the the choice and the and the, and the treatments people could get no it, it, it was about trying to be personal and it, it was you know the, the big investment Wanting to be personal was one of the reasons why I became the GM, why I was chosen to head up that company. It was all about the experience. How do we have a consistency, quality experience? And the, the overheads became extremely high from an admin perspective. And that was my push sort of into technology to solve, solve these things. Because it was always meant to be personal. It was always meant to be a good uh, bedside manner in a way, understanding, making you feel welcome, you know, that sort of thing safe um but it, it was truly uh, dr castle's just vision of of i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do it properly um it was pretty uh, spectacular so what were the what were the challenges of being the general manager of the clinic that size i'm sure there were many um but what, what were what were the what were the really big ones maybe the ones that really um you know were barriers to growth well um, for example, one of the things that sort of my memory of is um, before I came on board, there was a practitioner who contributed a fair portion of the business revenue. She was really well liked, did a great job. Um, but as the clinic grew, um, her uh, remuneration used to take the bookkeeper almost a full day to calculate because it was so complex on such different 
formulas and stuff like that. So it's, that's what I call a legacy issue. So when you come in, you're going, okay, we can do all this with the new people. This is great. This is all works. But then you've got legacy issues that people are too scared to let go. They're too worried about the impact in my debt. If that person leaves, then where are we? You know, so you've got to, um, for me, it was, there was a number of those legacy issues where yes, in principle, that's wrong or it's right, or it does work. It doesn't work, but we just can't take a chance of changing it. So obviously not every clinic is going to reach that humongous size. And by definition, not everyone can be the largest. Um, so thinking again about the clinics that are slightly smaller, again, you know, one location, two locations, three, maybe four, maybe even a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest lesson that they can learn from, from a clinic that size? Um, it's understanding your market, who your market is and having good strategies to actually reach those uh, consumers that you're targeting and understanding that you can't be, um, get the whole market. It's too expensive. You can't, you know, go from, you know, from the most expensive, um, high spending clients to, you know, teenagers, which have just, you know, limited um, ability to spend. So you've really got to understand who you want to target and how you target that. Um, and then we, we clinic that size was still really specific in its targeting. Yes, absolutely. Even that size, we, we knew who we just couldn't compete with certain things. So as you, you scale, you get certain efficiencies and certain, and you've got to look at your business. So having four locations, what is your competitive advantage? Are you in locations where people work and close to home? So you go, look, uh, we can give you options of where you treat, you treat it. Is that an advantage? Is it that, um, you know, you, you specialize in one particular type of treatment. So with today's um, social media and amount of information out there, if I was a small clinic, I would like to establish myself as the go-to source of information, not Dr. Google. I'd almost be asking my, my patient, what have you Googled recently? What, what, anything that you've heard out there that you want our opinion on? Or, or sort of establish yourself as your go-to. Um, a practitioner should be the first place a patient tries to get information, not the last, or not even avoid having that conversation because I read something else online. So you've got to, doesn't matter how big or small you are, establishing yourself as a, as a, a, a knowledgeable entity is the way I'd grow my business source of uh, a reliable source and a source of authority and also i want to add to that because that is one of the pillars really of um of our aesthetic emotion marketing system but just to add to that also to make it really personal so that they feel they're getting the information from someone or people or a team that they know like and trust and not just from some amorphous clinic which i think um is a trap that some of the clinics sometimes some clinics fall into but they are providing information but it's written in a way or it's recorded in a way that it really could be coming from anywhere and if you want them to trust you it's got to be really personal it's got to feel personal correct absolutely spot on so Avron, what's what, what what's next what's coming up next what are you really excited about other than your other than growing your platform or what part of that are you most excited about well, I think it's going to be quite exciting in the next couple of months as we're able to offer a scaled down version to smaller clinics. 
um, to sort of, you know, we've made big changes to big clinics. And now it'd be nice to, to see that filter down and, and work in um, just with smaller clinics and saying, hey, here's some really cool stuff you can do. This is how you can change your business and stuff okay. they haven't seen when, before. When, when you say small, how small are you talking? So give an example, the, the cost of the software is um, for um, one module versus the full modules is about a 90% price difference. It's, it's massive. So even a small startup clinic will eventually be able to afford, um, you know, the newer package. And, you know, you talk about what are, what are these modules and why, why modulize? So we have one of our clinic groups had 20 something people in a call center. So we've actually got a call center software built into it. And the way it, it it deals with the patient and your phone and the patient's file flashes up straight away in front of you and how you set in your calls and tasks. But you know what? I've had groups which are a hundred clinics and still don't have a call center. So our software had to develop that call center, but it's certainly not applicable to everyone. So this is what I was talking about, stripping things out and saying to them, here's the bare bones. But at the it same time, you can choose what they need. Which actually sounds to me like more of a recipe to get people to actually use tech. Correct. And as they're ready to do something new or go, no, what we now want to start bringing in um, staff KPIs and stuff like that. Great. So let's bring in the KPI module, you know, one click and you start, you got all this different tracking and graphing and, and stuff like that. Let's bring in, I don't know, choose another mark, um, outbound marketing. We, we now finished with using uh, MailChimp. Now we're going to use the outbound marketing system, things like that. They can't integrate it with other systems. Presumably they have to be using your, your some ver basic version of your system for this. Well, there, there are APIs and stuff. So we, we do work with a lot of other softwares and stuff, but it, it really um, comes down to... Um, what that software is and whether that software works with, you know, APIs, but we, we've got clients which have, you know, they might have a web store, for example. So that's quite complex where uh, we've got a client that uses the web store for registrations, that registration APIs with our software to get consent forms, medical histories, pre questionnaires and all of that stuff. The person then buys stuff online, which then uploads into our system into CRM. So you know what they've purchased. And if they come into the clinic, you now have their purchases. It then flows onto the data management for scripting and sending to pharmacies and distribution. So again, it could be this big or it could be much smaller. Um, and that's what I'm trying to say. It's like with the right flexible tech, you can choose just what you need for now and knowing that you're covered for your next step. That's the- They can, that's grow, the with, they can grow with the clinics. Um, so everyone, right. if people want to find out more about your about your system or, or get in touch with you, how should they? What's the best place? How should they do that? So the best way to get in touch with me is um, emailing me avron at claritymulti.com. That's A-V-R-O-N at claritymulti.com. Or have a look at our website, claritymulti.com. It talks about a bit of the solution there and, and some of the stuff that we do. But, you know, if you have any other questions or want to talk about tech and business or, or running good quality frameworks to grow your business, then happy to, uh, for you to reach out to me and, and chat further. Fantastic. And of course, we'll put um, all those links in the show notes. Anyone who's listening um, who wants to get in touch with Avron or find out more about Clarity Multi um, quickly, just pop down below the podcast and all those links will be there for you. Everyone, thank you very much. It's been a really fantastic conversation. So thank you for being our guest today.
Absolute pleasure and thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure too. And I am Miriam Shavir from Brainstorm Digital and for everyone else, I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.